0: From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job? I'm Matt Ray.
1: You know, once you know the rules of the game, it's not that difficult to go and network with people. Um, But it's still a challenge, you know, it could still be challenging. And, you know, if you acknowledge this, if you tell yourself, you know, you did such a good job, so. You know, praise yourself on the work you've done. Um, so that things certainly help to move forward with networking.
0: On this episode of What the Job, I chat with Yana Dogal. Yana is a consultant with Grant Thornton, where she helps companies reclaim some of their research and development expenses through government grants. Yana has a fascinating career journey that includes getting a PhD and then an MBA. And we talk all about her graduate and professional education, how it's influenced her career, what her experience was like as an immigrant starting her own company, and her thoughts on networking as an introvert. What the job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellonish Monix program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance. Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurancecom alumni. So what's your name and what's your job?
1: Uh, Well, hello, uh, everyone and everybody. So my name is Jana Dogil, And right now I'm a consultant for uh, Grant Thornton. And I work on shred claims.
0: And what do you do? What kind of consulting is that?
1: So what we do, uh, we work with uh, technical, technology, engineering, life science uh, based companies, and we help them to get some of their money they've spent on research and development back into the company. So there is a so-called SHRED or S-R-N-D, sorry, S-R-E-D. Uh, government incentive programs. And the program allows uh, companies to reclaim some of the money they've spent on research and development back so they can invest it again into research and development and the company growth. So it's a relatively complicated and complex process. So what we do, we help companies to, um, to prepare those claims. And there are two components to those claims technical report and financial um kind of analysis or financial part and for technical report you need to understand what those companies um we're trying to do you need to understand their technology you know and sort of polish it and wrap it up and prepare in a way so the government can understand Um, quickly and grasp relatively easily what they were trying to do and how it fits with the program and the financials you know i think it's relatively straightforward you just go through all their financial information and again prepare it uh, according to the expectations of the government or canadian revenue agency to be more specific
0: it sounds a bit like a job where um you can' you have to live in two worlds, it seems almost. you know you have to have that bureaucratic knowledge or the 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 tech, the knowledge of of the the funding program in order to make sure that yeah. the, but then also i'm I'm sure you have to have some technical knowledge if you're working with these these companies yeah. that do specific research.
1: So, um, most of the people who are, who stay, I would say, and who become successful in this um, industry, they come with some sort of technical uh, background. So, they're either engineers or scientists or uh, maybe uh, even doctors, you know, people who have degrees a lot of times, uh, undergraduate or graduate in one of those industries. And uh, most of them learn financial parts sort of on the go, uh, but it definitely helps if you have some sort of financial background such as MBA, for example, or even accountant Um, so grant Thornton is an accountant firm and we sort of kind of add. hook or like standalone group that focuses on shred specifically so we work a lot with accountants within the firm uh, but you don't really need to be an accountant to succeed in this
0: uh, role and do you have that background that you're talking about
1: So I have an MBA from uh, University of Alberta, and I also have a PhD uh, from um, University of Karlsruhe, that's in Germany. So I have background in um, life sciences and um, nanotech, and then financial that comes from the University of Alberta MBA program.
0: It must feel like a, a real convergence of two, what I think on the surface looks like two very different degrees.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And it definitely, um, you know, it, how should I say it? Um, typically you would think, okay, I lost my train of thoughts here. Uh, but what I'm trying to say here, it's, a, almost like a special kind of mind you have to have.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: a lot of people who are, um in this like some of my colleagues they actually have not just technical background but also some artistic background so you wouldn't expect that from such a technical role but nevertheless you know you'll see that a lot and i think that does speak a little bit about um this special way of thinking you know where you have two uh, parts of your brain working together really closely
0: that's interesting, especially the artistic part, because you would think such a role, you know, you're talking about accounting, you're talking about grant funding and working with researchers and that sort of thing. You would think it would be more technical and precise. Um, how does an artistic side or these different ways of thinking, how does that come into to your profession?
1: Yeah, you know, when it comes to technical uh, part um, where you have to write the report, uh, you know, it's really all about like combining those uh, technical skills, like understanding what your client is trying to tell you. And artistic skills where you are trying to write it really well, so, you know, to the point and at the same time, you know, a kind of specific um, like using your creativity a little bit,
0: you know. And how did you end up in, in this career? You know, you, you've got your PhD. What made you decide to go get an MBA? I'm kind of curious about that.
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, I had many different jobs over the years, you um, so i've i've started my career as a scientist then i worked in the government um on the government incentive programs then i worked in startup world i co-founded a medical device startup and then i sort of went back into corporate world consulting um so why i started my mba um i think it was just um, kind of way to transition so i was in academia Um, not for that long so I just did my PhD and then I did my postdoctoral training first year and then I had uh, my first child like our first child my husband and I had the child and this is I guess where I started to think a little bit more about the future and how we are going to make it all work my husband was at that time also in academia he was following the same path, and we were in the same industry, same department. So when there are two academics in the industry, in the family, um, it's very hard for them to make the career in the same field because you sort of, it's uh, um, expect an expectation that you will move. So your next academic position will be somewhere else. And it's unlikely that it will be two similar positions in the same, uh, let's say, in a different university. See what I'm trying to say?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Here? just for um, just to give my side, I, I have a PhD as well, and my wife has a doctorate in music. Okay. So, so you're good. I, I know all about this. You, you're talking to one of the very few <laughs> people that that understand exactly yeah. what you're saying. But also yeah. from my perspective, I would say, if. Uh, Like a PhD takes a long time to do. It's very difficult. I don't know if I would be up for more school yet. You were like, you know what? I'm going to do an MBA.
1: So um, I don't know if that's going to speak highly about me or uh, vice versa. But uh, for me, it was sort of like my best option. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I honestly didn't know what to do with my life, with my career, Um, I was born in a different country and I got married to my husband and he was, he's very determined. Um, I like to think about myself as very determined too now, but back then I was sort of, okay, what do I do with my life? And he started a PhD in Germany. And uh, I was sort of invited to join him, because they said, you have a very similar background, you obviously fit well for the role, so why don't you do a PhD? And at that time, I was thinking, what are my other options? You know, I couldn't uh, have a job because I was in Germany, so I had to go through a special process to get the permission. It was highly complicated back then, and I think still now. And to have a family, you know, to have children, I was, I don't know how old I was, like 23. I thought I was too young, like I wasn't ready and neither was my husband. So, okay, why don't I do a PhD? So I did a PhD and then um, continued with postdoc. And only when I had my first child, I started to think, what do I really want? How do I really see our future together and I talked to a lot of people and kind of did my own research you know what do people do after PhD um they probably I don't know if you've gone through the similar oh yeah experience. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I've you know I've looked looked into uh patent attorney I looked into becoming a teacher uh I looked into becoming consultant you know things like that and it all ended up to you know, I have to. Ho- I have to go and have an MBA, and um, because I thought I want to transition into business, and this seems to be like a very logical step um, to transition to have an MBA on top of the PhD.
0: And did you find in the end when you when you did the MBA, did you find that indeed it was a good uh pathway? I mean, it seems like it was. You are you are in a spot now, but does it seem like yeah, that was that was a good pathway for you to to make a change?
1: For for me, definitely. I wouldn't say this is like the only way to transition, but for me it was definitely a good pathway. And I was really fortunate to be uh an Alberta at that time, so I didn't put much thinking into what school to go into. You know, I had a a uh, young child and my husband had a job in Edmonton, so University of Alberta was, again, logical, a logical step. And But I'm really fortunate uh, it worked out for me because the program was very supportive. Uh, back then, there were not many PhDs who um, got an MBA, so um, it sort of opened a lot of doors for me, and just the whole experience was really... Um, amazing you know was so many good memories um back from that time
0: yeah we've interviewed people on this show before who have done mbas and it sounds like not just you know the knowledge you get and the skills and the training but you build a great network you really meet great people doing an mba
1: i think 90 percent of the mba program is really about building your network um i mean definitely um classes and the knowledge you get is really important, but at the end of the day, your your degree is important to the point if you can get your next job, right? I think for a lot of students, a lot of people who go get an MBA, they want to have this next career change. And it's all about getting your new job or starting a new company so and this without the networking is not really possible, and especially in today's world. And in fact, you know, I would say all of my jobs came through networking. Uh, I did apply, you know, many times. Um, through kind of, you know, um, just so um, The job offer job advertisement I applied, you know, I rarely made it to the interview, like my resume was kind of always screened out for whatever reason. Um, Either I don't know, maybe because I was overqualified or something else I don't really know, but I also know that once you know someone knows me they want to hire me. They're like, oh, Yana, come work for us. Like, really, really, really need someone like you um, because, and usually it's something really complicated that nobody else wants to do. So
0: how did you, so let's talk a little bit about networking and building a network because I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with, especially if you're more of an introvert, it's hard to reach out and talk to people. Is networking something that comes easy for you? And what kind of, you know, what, how do you network? What's your strategy?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's not easy. Um, and especially now after COVID, you know, we've been out of this networking environment for two years, most of us. So how do you go back? Um, it's always very difficult. It's always for me, I have to do it, like get up and go do it. And I usually try to put some sort of uh, metrics in place for me. So I'll tell myself, okay, you, I'm gonna go to this conference or to this event and I have to talk to five people. So I literally tell myself, you make effort to talk to five people. And it's not just like, hi, hello, you know, kind of try to spend some time with those people. And it's um, it's very difficult and, um, You know, you kind of have to do it. it. It's, there is not really a golden rule how to, it's just like the more you do it, the more comfortable you become, or the way I like to see it, the less concerned you become about like, you know, is it weird, do I ask the right question or not? You just go and do it and it becomes a sort of norm for you.
0: I'm always whenever we interview someone who's like just loves networking and they they have a giant network. I'm always just like this is you live in a different world from me. I have no idea how it's just yeah. so easy for you to just go and chat with people. But you know I, it's interesting talking to you because uh, it seems like the the scientist in you always is coming through. You know you're measuring things. You, you when you're making career move, you're doing all this research yeah. and background, which is also I guess very PhD. But uh, it, it seems like a kind of a through line behind everything. You can't really escape it.
1: I guess. Yeah, I guess you're right. And, you know, I think naturally, um, I'm more introvert than extrovert. Um, But what I've noticed that introverts, they can sort of put on this mask of being an extrovert. Mm -hmm. But extroverts, they cannot do the same. Mm -hmm. It's it's really hard to expect an extrovert to kind of sit and be quiet, like for two hours or something like that. While for an introvert, It's, um, you know, you sort of, what are the skills? Like what do people do when they try to uh, network with someone? So they come to this person, they say hello, they introduce, they ask, you know, kind of questions. And so you can learn this. So um, I always think that, you know, once you know the rules of the game, it's not that difficult to go and network with people. but it's still a challenge, you know, it could still be challenging. And you know, if you acknowledge this, if you tell yourself, you know you did such a good job, so you know praise yourself on the work you've done. Um, so that thing certainly help to move forward with networking.
0: Then you talk about the ability to be quiet, <laughs> which I think I think is actually a key to networking. We talked about this in an an earlier episode with someone who was very good at networking, and they were they were talking about how, being able to listen after you ask the questions, make it so that the other person, you know, ask for advice and let them give you the advice. Those are important skills too, in terms of showing that you're earnest in what you want to hear from these people.
1: Yeah, and introverts are really good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, So use it, so just use it for your benefit, you know, understand that this is actually your strength. I think in our society, um, especially in North America, it is considered more as a flaw if you're quiet and more observative. So it's almost like you are not as engaged or maybe you're not as a strong personality. Um, but at the same time, if you know how to turn it around and use it for your benefit, you can really be successful at networking, for example.
0: I, I think we're speaking the same language here. We're on the exact same page. Yeah. That, you know, networking for introverts, there's probably a workshop or a book or something out there. <laughs> but I think you're right. you know, I think there is something to be said, not to say like extroverts are obviously great at networking or whatever, but yeah, there absolutely. is something there's something yeah. to be said about having the patience and and being a good listener and all that, and being good at conversation, mastering conversation.
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: So let's go back to your career path a bit. You fit, what did you what did you do after your MBA? What was your first gig after that?
1: So I worked for a government agency um that was actually my internship during my MBA program. It was uh called Alberta Ingenuity. So later it became Alberta Innovate, Innovate Technology Futures. Um and I think now it was renamed again um but I wouldn't be certain here so an alberta uh ingenuity was a government agency that sort of worked with uh technology-based companies actually they worked with so many areas but the particular department i was in we worked with um technology-based companies trying to secure those large partnerships that would um you know of enhance the economy in Alberta. So the government had this large mandate to, to invest in other industries or to create those platform technologies that would ensure the oil and gas economy will keep going, will be less cyclical. So that was sort of our, our big agenda back then.
0: And then, what? At what point did you did you decide to make this turn to a sort of like consulting type role?
1: The one I have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so after I did this, um, you know, Alberta ingenuity, then I worked for government of Alberta, and then we uh, we moved from Alberta to Ontario, and I um, this is where I sort of started my consultant um, consultant. Um, so I was looking for a job and a lot of people were sort of pointing to "Oh, you have to work in the government, you have this government funding experience that would be very beneficial. Um, I really wanted to work with companies or in a company more in the industry, and uh, it was not really easy to sell myself, to sell my skills for this group of uh, people because they always, you know, Told me as someone from the government, so go work back for the government. And then this opportunity came, someone said, oh, I really want to know what's going on with the government funding as a company. So can you help us? So I prepared this kind of you know report for them where I outlined the programs they can apply for. And this is how it started, you know, the word spread and someone else asked me. And then I thought, Oh, maybe there is a market here. Why don't I start a consulting? And, um, again, there was a funded program back then that helps you to start your own company. It was self-employment program and I've gone through the whole training. I think it was maybe like six month training where they taught you how to start a company. Now, because I already had an MBA, you know, it wasn't something I didn't know. But at the same time, there was lots of hands-on kind of experience and hands-on work. For example, like I knew I had to market my company and I've created the whole marketing plan, how I'm going to do it and things like that. And then my marketing coach, uh, I would meet with him every other week. So in the first meeting, he said, okay, so you're going to let people know about your company, right? This is part of your plan. So we agreed on that. And then next time I come, he's like, so how did it go? And I tell him, well, no one is really interested. He's like, what do you mean? Like, well, I sent email to all those people and nobody replied. And then he looks at me and he tells me. You got to call them, like Mm -hmm. stop sending emails. You need to phone them. And I'm like, no, this is too weird. (laughs) Why would I, (laughs) like, what do I say? (laughs) And so he sort of walked me through the process and explain that, you know, this is how you do it, because you know, otherwise no one is gonna pay attention to your email. So that was a really good lesson for me.
0: Um, how, how did the first call go? Like the first cold call you had to do for that?
1: You know, there when you start a company, you know, if you go back to networking, like how do you get your first clients? You sort of go back to the people you know or people who know you. And you um, start talking to them, and um, it was okay, I would say, um, and partially because I wasn't really selling my company, I was uh, doing market research. So I was saying, "Hey, I'm thinking about this idea of starting a company, and um, my clients would be a company like yours. So can we discuss? You know, what would um, be." like why would it make sense for you to hire a company like mine for example so um and that was a really good um kind of start of the conversation, and afterwards, you know, um, they provide the information, feedback. I collected all the information, and then I sent them back as a summary of all the companies I talked to, and one of those people I spoke with, they actually went back and said, by the way, now we want to hire you. But even like saying, hi, I'm doing this research, I'm thinking about the company, it was a big step for me like mentally because you know you you always have all those doubts am i qualified to be a consultant you know do people are people gonna take me serious so that was something i really struggled with in the beginning that's why i was hesitant to make those phone calls Um, but once you start talking to people and everyone's like oh good for you i'm so happy you know you would be great you kind of start to feel a little bit better about that
0: I feel like people with graduate degrees are especially critical of what they know, like uh, being an expert in something, right? Because it's such a a high specialized area of learning where the people that you're surrounded by are masters of what they do. And so no matter where you go after that, I feel like you always doubt that, oh, well, I can't really weigh in on this because I haven't studied everything there is to know about it. Whereas most most people don't worry about that.
1: I know and it's also uh, like what you've just said and um, you know we are trained to question our knowledge all the time right? If you prepare your thesis it will be questioned by you know uh, a group of experts because this is how you defend, you kind of want to make sure you thought everything through so in the real world it's very different and um, you know as a PhD it was a a big learning process for me to, you know, not to shy away from my education, but sort of, and at the same time, not to position myself as someone who is arrogant, knows it all, kind of finding this um, intermediate ground where I can embrace my education, my experience, and at the same time, you know, be someone people like working with.
0: mm mm-hmm. Like work, be, being someone who people like working with, I think is so important these days, especially. Yeah. Um, one thing I also wanted to talk about was just the idea of starting a business and uh, what was going through your mind and what learnings you had as you went through that kind of process. Um, because, you know, it's not an easy change. I know you had relocated to Ontario, so you were making a change anyway. Um, but it's still kind of scary to be like, hey, you know what, I'll just I'll just go out on my own. Who needs a, like a guaranteed salary and everything yeah. like that?
1: yeah well as you said um because i moved to ontario i had to find a way to make a living and um you know my husband had a full-time job so financially we were okay Um, but at the same time i knew i want to keep growing as a professional and um so i've tried to find a job here and there uh it wasn't easy partially because i sort of struggled toronto uh ontario is a you know such a large metropolitan and you know i wasn't prepared to commute like two three hours a day uh, at that time i already had a second child so a baby and i just didn't see it and again i talked to a number of people who were doing consulting and asked them you know how did you start what do you do like how old were you and i it felt like this is a good fit and good next step for me so, this is how I started. And then again, I had this self-employment um, funding, which was very supportive. So it sort of gave me this uh, financial um, cushion to start with. Um, but in terms of starting a company, you know all those risks, I always tried to minimize them. So like I remember how in the beginning, I was always said. I would invest in the company only as much as I make in the company. So let's say if this month I made that much, so only this amount of money I'll spend maybe on marketing, on like talking to people, you know, like things like travel, um, sending them information, taking them for lunches, you know, investing in the website, Uh, Google ads and things like that. So this is how I try to balance, I would say, okay, I'm not going to cover my time. But at least I'm not going to be like, tapping into family savings, just because I decided to start this company.
0: Mm. One thing I also want to hit on just before I forget, you know, we've interviewed a lot of second-generation Canadians on this show, and they talk about their experience. But I don't think we've ever interviewed anybody who who's an immigrant to Canada and then an international student in Canada. So I was wondering about your experience in um, being an international student, learning the MBA program as an international student, and then uh, finding work after as, as someone who comes from another country.
1: It's a really good question, and I think um, I'm I'm really Thankful you're bringing it up because I don't think there is enough discussion about like first generation immigrants and Canada is the open uh, immigration um, country so I don't remember the statistics but I think something like the, between 25 and 30 percent of the population is the first generation immigrants so you know and and yet we don't see it you know if you think about like You know, you're driving the car and someone calls on the radio, you know, like with the answer or whatever, it's never someone who has accent um, speaking English. So it's almost like we don't exist and yet we make um, Mm -hmm. such a huge contribution and partially it's because it's, it's really difficult to overcome this barrier that's inside of you, you know, you are not like everybody else. Um, so I think as an immigrant, it's really important to work with your own feelings in terms of like, yes, I'm valuable member of the society. I have lots to offer and, um, I, I can be, I can make, you know, a new life here and be happy about this. And, um, you know, I find the University of Alberta, it was really good at supporting this. And we had a number of uh, students who were first generation. Some of them were still a part of another countries. uh, So they just came uh, to study. And um, in Canada in general, um, Canadians are so open to other cultures. For example, when I lived in Europe 10 years ago, I know things has changed now, but back then, In Europe, you kind of feel this coldness, you know, for a couple months or years, they will be very careful with you, you know, like they will be polite and nice, but you wouldn't see this warmth, you know, kind of openness in their heart until they really get to know you, which might take time. And then afterwards, you know, your friends forever. In Canada, it's much quicker. You know, you came to Canada And I remember when we first came to Canada. So we landed in Edmonton, my husband and I, and we had two backpacks and we were standing at the airport. Um, I think we trying to figure out like what's the um, way to get to the city. And then someone from the airport walked by and she asked us if we need help. So that was already like. Why would people offer to help if it didn't even ask? So that was such a new experience to us. And then she asked like where we were from, and we said, well, we came from Germany, and we, um, we like we landed. And she asked like how long are you gonna stay in Canada, and we said, well, maybe forever. And she got super excited. She was like, oh my god, I'm so happy. Congratulations. Welcome. And I felt so good, you know, I thought, I thought this is really a nice place to be because everyone is so open and welcoming.
0: That's an amazing story. And the radio thing really struck me. I had never really thought of that before, but it's so true. And when I've interviewed other guests um, who are second generation, uh, as I said, I don't think we've interviewed any first generation immigrants. They always also talk about how seeing someone like them in other roles. And accent is another form, right? That you don't see somebody in these roles that um, is similar to you or has your background. um, It's hard to imagine yourself uh, fitting in and being in those places. So... Uh, I can see how that would be a struggle as well.
1: Yeah, and accent is the, like for a lot of immigrants, it's a really big issue. Like I I know lots of people who still, um, you know, always every time they uh, do some sort of conversation with at work or like they kind of struggle. They're very conscious about this and they say, oh my God, my English is probably so bad. Um, so you kind of like, okay, yes, it's not, maybe as perfect, but this is not the key here, right? The key is your willingness to become part of this society. Um, I think that's really important to keep in mind when you're trying to integrate yourself into the new society, to the new community world.
0: Well, and if networking is a challenge for someone like me, uh, someone with an accent, it must be just another layer.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like 100%. And, and, you know, I remember, um, you know, I haven't done networking for long. But, you know, I talked to someone and you can see how the first question they ask is like, where are you from? So and you know, you can think this is a nice, polite way to get to know you. But for a lot of people, it's almost like they're trying to place you. Where Mm. is your accent from? Mm -hmm. So, you know, for a lot of people, it's very dominion, you know, when they're like, where are you from? It's almost like, oh, your English is not perfect. You must be not uh, be born here. Things like that.
0: Yeah. Trying to suss that out as opposed to, you know, talking about the thing that you wanted to No no one would ask me where I'm from unless I was in America. Then then they pick up my accent.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, but that's the reality, right? We can only... Acknowledge it and try to work with it rather than complain how unhappy it makes us.
0: I know you co-founded a mental health tech startup. I wondered if you could talk about what it's like to found a company as a woman, as well as uh, how you balance your career ambitions with your family life.
1: Uh, sure. So the medical device startup um, is called Telemag Health Solutions, and. Um, I was really lucky to um, to work with two other co-founders who had a huge appreciation for my skills and experience. Uh, there was never things like, oh, you're a woman, you know, um, they were very open to uh, kind of see me as a professional. And um, like, it's never, there was never ever a time when I felt like, oh, I'm a woman, there are two guys, they don't take me seriously because um and they were much older i mean i should say more senior um so it was more about like what can we do together uh like we have technical skills Jana has business expertise especially when it comes to funding how can we make it all work um so that was really a quite rewarding experience there were lots of uh, frustration of course as in any startup and uh, especially when you try to combine um startup world like startup growth um business development and the family life um so that's always a challenge but you know coming from consulting experience i find once you have this um method of working things out uh, that sort of works so for me for example i like to block Um, put blocks of times in my calendar. And for example, I know I have those, my core hours, let's say nine to three. This is when I work. This is when I schedule all my meetings. And like the rest of the time is the family. So, and it's really important to be transparent about this. You don't have to say, oh, I can't do this meeting at 5 p.m. because I have like, I don't know, soccer practice or things like that. Um, like, because you, you don't try to make people feel guilty that they've asked you about this inappropriate time, even though you mentioned that to them many times, 5pm, you're not available. When you're professional and just say, oh, sorry, this time doesn't work for me. Um, you know, everyone's sort of, oh, okay, what time works for you? Um, so that's number one, kind of having this method you stick to. Uh, you know, this like separate work from um family. And the second, of course, is my husband. you know, he plays and played and plays such a huge role in my success because he's sort of like here all the time and you know if um, um it it was never like that, oh I can't um drive my kids to uh, you know to the class today, could you do it? It was like, okay, who is doing what this week? So it was more like you know, partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not it's not like, oh, I can't cook dinner tonight. could you cook something? It was like, okay, so like we you know I'm doing dinner, he's doing dishes, you know that's kind of like a given. So the roles already prescribed and everything moves according to the plan.
0: So I think it's time now for the lightning round, which is brought to you by our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Uh, these are questions we just ask every single guest. Um, have you ever been fired from a job?
1: No, I have not been. Um, I I quit many jobs, mm. that's for sure, but um, I have not been fired.
0: When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Oh, boy, I had too many ideas. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be model. I wanted to be, um, actually, I guess teacher and a model. Yeah. Teacher writer. Teacher, model and writer.
0: Writer. Wow. Yeah. That would be a a good trifecta career right there. Um, (laughs) what advice do you have for somebody who feels like they're in a career rut? Like they're stuck in their job or they want to make a move and they don't know how?
1: Uh, it's a really good question. And I've been there myself. so um, I guess um, it's also maybe an advice I would give uh, younger myself. Kind um, of talk to someone, find people you can talk to who are more senior, more experienced, and who you can trust to. And uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, do try to talk to your supervisor. You know, kind of. But before you talk, really understand what struggle. Uh, here is like is it you know work your colleagues like can you change anything about that and and the third you know don't be afraid to take the risk i think it's really important for us to um if you do feel like you have to move on then move on
0: what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in your current job
1: if i weren't in my current job um well this is a really tricky. Tricky question. So, uh, if you you know look back twenty years ago, maybe I would make a career in psychology. Um, and uh, um, if and I'm so sorry, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> <Can't be laughs> no, started. you're you're good.
0: <laughs> um, Why psychology? Is that what you did your degree in? Did you do? A no,
1: no. I've just um, you know I've never been um, very. Um, My EQ, I don't think was really hard to begin with, Uh, but when I was doing my MBA, this is where this concept of EQ uh, first was introduced to me, and I started learning about this. And since then, I realized, you know, psychology can teach you so much about yourself, so you can open up and become truly successful. You know, I think for a lot of people, the struggle is the internal conflict and psychology really helps you to understand this and to move on. So that would be my other option.
0: Uh, Last one. What is your favorite thing about your job?
1: My favorite uh, thing about my job is really talking to uh, all kinds of clients and learning about all kinds of technologies out there. And it just um, you know, blows my mind to see that Canada is so diverse in terms of everything we're trying to do to improve the world, to make our lives better.
0: Well, I have had a great time talking with you, Yana. Always wonderful to talk to uh, someone who has a PhD and is an introvert. We're, we're probably not that rare, but it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for listening to this episode of What the Job, and a special thanks to our guest, Yana Dogol for talking to us about her career journey. And as always, a reminder that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. It's free. And you could try it out today at uab.ca slash esport. It's a great tool, no matter where you are in your career journey. That's all for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.